0: Are you a virtual assistant juggling all the things, you know, inquiries, contracts, payments? It can feel a little overwhelming at times trying to keep up with everything, right? Well, meet your new business BFF, insert HoneyBook. Think of HoneyBook as the upgrade your VA business didn't even know that it needed, taking you from beginner to polished and professional in no time. I've been using HoneyBook since day one of my business, and let me tell you, it's been a lifesaver for this busy mom. It's user-friendly, lets you automate workflows, and my favorite part is that it's completely customizable, so it'll look like it's native to your brand. I know what you're thinking. Do I really need a customer management platform? Well, spoiler alert, yes, you do. It's the secret ingredient that's given my VA business a 98% success rate of turning curious inquiries into solid bookings. Now, here's the deal. You can score an amazing 50% off right now if you use the link in the show notes. That's right. You heard that correctly. 50% off your entire subscription for any plan. And trust me when I say your business deserves the HoneyBook Upgrade. Welcome back to another episode of the Millennial Mom Movement Podcast. I'm really excited because today I have a very special friend of mine, Yasmin Salem Hamden. She is not only an award-winning entrepreneur and intellectual property attorney based in Dallas, Texas, but she also happens to be a really good friend of mine. She's the founder of CoachesAndCompany.com, where she's revolutionizing legal support for entrepreneurs by offering them plug-and-play legal solutions and lawyer-created business contracts without the hefty law firm fees. I know from personal experience, this is a really big deal. Her innovative approach has helped thousands of entrepreneurs safeguard their business and their financial futures. Yasmin also hosts the Business of Doing Business podcast, which is going to be launching within the next month from listening to this episode, where she shares bite sized lessons and insights catering to modern entrepreneurs. Her contributions have earned recognition from platforms like Forbes, Entrepreneur Magazine, Think Thinkific, and Dallas Startup Week. Yasmin's mission is to help entrepreneurs everywhere build their own protected and profitable businesses in order to create a positive impact on the world and financial independence for themselves. This is exactly why I'm so excited for you guys to listen in on my conversation with Yasmin. It is real, it is relevant, and it is timely. And I have to say, we dive into some topics that we've never dived into on the podcast before, which is why I am so excited for today's episode. So without further ado, here is Yasmin and our conversation. Welcome to the Millennial Mom Movement, a podcast that's all about redefining what it means to be a working mom. I'm your host and business BFF, Amanda Holmes. Each week, we dig deep and reverse engineer how to make money on your own terms. Get ready for inspiring insights, fun chats, and tangible tips to rewrite your success story. Let's dive on in. Yasmin, welcome to the Millennial Mom Movement Podcast. I'm so excited to introduce you to our audience today. You guys are going to love, love, love Yasmin. She is the creator and founder of Coaches & Co., a product that I love and stand behind. And I'm so excited because she can not only give us a little bit of advice on legal things, but she has a lot of history as an entrepreneur. So welcome. And we're so excited to have you.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Amanda. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Okay, so let's dive right in. Tell me about your journey into how you got to where you are today because I feel like your story is really exciting and fun.
1: Thank you. Yeah, so I started my entrepreneurial journey as an attorney. So at a law school, I started my private practice. I opened my own law firm after working at a firm throughout law school and seeing how the traditional way of serving businesses was and had just been accepted it was about the same time that instagram was new on the scene so this is this is like early 2010 yes it really funny to
0: be able to say we've gone through like the history of instagram like our timestamps are. are in line with instagram's timestamps like oh it about when stories came out about when reels were launched yes, <laughs> yes.
1: Okay, well, all of that is a blur for me, if I'm being honest. I don't know, like ever since I guess maybe like after 2015, don't ask me when all the features came out because it's a blur. But but the early 2010s is when Instagram came out. At least that's when I got on Instagram and I was seeing all of these brands that were being built in real time. We're witnessing them. We are consumers of their content. We are consumers of their products or services if they were selling those. But more importantly, we were seeing their intellectual property take shape, the brand identity that they were developing, the content in the written form, in the video form, or the audio form that they were publishing. And so I remember I was working at this firm in law school in Dallas, and I was talking to my supervising attorney, and I'm like, listen, this is wild. You've got to pay attention to this. Like, take a look. Let me show you what's happening on the internet. And they were interested, but not enough to you know, allocate resources to that. It was kind of like, okay, that's cool. Thanks for putting that on my radar, but we have a full client load. So let's go service them. And a lot of our clients were the more traditional businesses. I remember we had, you know, an HVAC company, restaurants, spas, and salons, accounting firms. We've worked with a lot of individuals on estate planning that they own businesses. And so we were doing trademark and IP work. We were doing contract work. We were advising entrepreneurs, but It was all on an hourly basis. So that was the traditional model of billing. If you've ever worked with a lawyer, you know that they bill by the hour traditionally. And it was all up to date from a law standpoint, but from a technology and marketing standpoint and and brand asset development standpoint, it was not up to date. So long story short, I graduated and I was like, you know what? I think I could do it better. So I'm going to go try. (laughs) And so I opened my practice, started working with entrepreneurs. I worked with entrepreneurs and startups across all industries, which was so fun. And then in 2018, my eyes were open to the world of selling services and digital products online, people that were selling coaching services, consulting services, the fact that these could be rendered digitally. You didn't have to have a brick and mortar or a physical office or any type of physical presence in order to have this thriving business. And I knew it because I was seeing the back end of all my clients' businesses. And I'm like, okay, this is incredible. So that was 2018. And then in 2020, I launched my current business, which is called Coaches & Company. It's coachesandcompany.com. And we are a digital media company. We provide access to educational resources and legal tools that are instantly downloadable, lawyer created and approved. We're known for our contract templates. So for doing business, whether you're selling coaching services, consulting services, an online course, you need a website terms and conditions or privacy policy from A to Z, we've got you. And that has been the ride of my life. It's been so much fun. It's been such an exploration of creativity it's been such a great way to connect with other entrepreneurs, be able to support and serve other entrepreneurs, hearing other people's stories and having a platform to share their stories. It's all just been so much fun. So I love it. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be doing it. And, you know, I don't know that our paths would have crossed had I, know. I not. That, so I don't know. I mean, I'm just grateful all around.
0: Well, I am grateful for YouTube because I have to say, I feel like Legal in itself typically is kind of a scary topic. I feel like it's like money. Like people know that it's important and it's there, but do we really talk about it? No. Do we ask questions around it? Definitely not. And so I think a lot of times entrepreneurs feel nervous and it isn't until they're in a situation where they're like, oh no, I'm in trouble. Now I need help. And what I love about you and your company is that not only do you offer the actual physical products or digital products really to be able to support entrepreneurs, but you also offer the education piece, which I think is so important because as an entrepreneur myself, I know that the more educated I can be on a topic, the more I can make decisions confidently when I'm dealing with things. So walk me through kind of how you landed on Contract templates, why somebody needs these because spoiler you do, and kind of the education that you provide because I think that's so valuable for our audience.
1: Oh my gosh, my heart is singing, Amanda, because you nailed it. It's just so true. One hour, and I I will answer your questions, I promise. (laughs) But what you said about having the information and the knowledge that you can make empowered decisions. I am all about that. And I have I say that to people in our community and I say that to my team internally is our goal when I'm talking to my team is, you know, we're not trying to persuade anybody into buying these products. It's a matter of let's provide them with the knowledge and the information they need so that they can make those determinations on their own. Okay, what contracts do I need? What relationships do I have in my business that need to be in writing? What kind of intellectual property am I having an understanding of what IP is and then being able to protect it, being able to maintain ownership of it, being able to transfer ownership of it if you need to. All of that is relevant as an entrepreneur if you are selling products, selling services, marketing online, creating content online. I mean all of that is of the utmost importance. So, I'm I'm not trying to compel anybody to buy our products actually. And that makes it so fun for us, you know, because we're not trying to persuade. We're instead trying to educate and that, we know that that education empowers people to take those decisions and make those decisions and take those steps in their business confidently. So how how did we come about these contracts? So when I was working with clients throughout you know the 2010s, which feels so weird to say, I guess it, that's true, it was back then. Um, when I was working with clients, every time I would meet with a prospective client on a discovery call or an initial consultation, there was always, of course, a conversation of, okay, how are we going to you know, build this client. And part of my way of doing things differently was we were in 100% flat fee. I love that. Yeah, we, we loved it too. And our clients loved it. And it just provided transparency and predictability. Instead, you know, they would know that this project would be a $1,000 flat fee or whatever it might be instead of the traditional way of, okay, it's $350 an hour. Okay, well, how many hours is it going to take? Well, it might take five, it might take 10. And that's a huge difference, right? Especially when you're trying to budget in the initial years of your business as a new entrepreneur. So, we did the flat fee. That was wonderful. And even then, still there were entrepreneurs that I would meet with on these initial calls and they were it was out of their budget. They simply could not invest at that level and it can be expensive to work with a lawyer. It can be pricey to work with a law firm and have custom contracts drafted, have a custom legal strategy in place. And what I found over time was that the vast majority of people do not need a custom contract. They need a great contract template that they can plug their information into that has business policies in place that are relevant to the nature of the relationship they're entering into. And that contract doesn't need to be a one-off project that costs 3000 plus dollars, right? We actually can make it a $300 product or less and make it much more accessible, instantly downloadable so there's no long you know, turnaround time for a project. When we'd work with clients, it would be like 30 days from start to finish of creating a custom agreement for them because there's a lot that goes into that, you know? And so that was really great. And it was super well received because people were like, oh my God, I know I need this stuff, but I can't invest at this level yet. But doing business without a contract is just risky business. I mean, Oh my gosh,
0: it is. I like laugh when I think about my early days of business as I'm sure most entrepreneurs do. And I do. had no idea what I was doing. This was before I was even an actual business. I don't even think I had filed for an LLC or anything like that. And I will never forget one of my like freelance clients. I say in quotation marks because it was so just piecemeal together. She was like, okay, no problem. I'm excited to sign on. Send me over your contract. And I had this moment where I was like, I don't have a contract. Should I have a contract? And it was literally somebody like you that was like selling contract templates. But here was the difference is those weren't backed by a lawyer. Those were very blanket contracts and they weren't specific to the need of the business. They were just like, here's an agreement essentially. And so I think one of the differences that I love about your company is it's not like a one size fits all. Like these contracts have been customized and created by a lawyer. They've been looked over and they're specific to the industry and who's part of the contract, which I think is super amazing as well.
1: Oh my gosh. We all have those stories. We all have those moments. You know, I I remember I had a client, they came to me because they wanted a new contract. They're like, I need a new service agreement. I think they were a marketing or consulting agency at the time. And I asked them if they had a contract that they were using currently. And they said, yeah, well, that's actually why I'm reaching out to you because I have a contract, but I sent it to the client I was trying to sign. And they pointed out to me that the jurisdiction listed was Singapore. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize you live in Singapore. And the client's like, I don't live in Singapore. I don't have anything to do with Singapore. But I'm sad to say that I pulled this contract off the Internet and I guess I didn't fully edit it. And I'm like, oh, my (laughs) gosh. Like it happens, and you know, thankfully that person caught it early on. But that's the kind of thing that can have a contract be unenforceable if there's no jurisdiction listed at all, or if the jurisdiction is somewhere that neither party is located, and you are not wanting to pursue litigation in that jurisdiction. There, your your options of resolving the dispute can be really limited. So, highly recommend. Having a great contract that you can stand by, that you know has been created by a lawyer, somebody familiar with your industry, familiar with the kind of business that you're involved in. And you know, you said it, Amanda, is that when it comes to legal stuff, it is a little scary. It is kind of intimidating. It's a foreign concept to a lot of us. And I firmly believe that you don't have to go to law school to be a successful entrepreneur. You don't have to know the law by heart in order to effectively protect your business. You just need to have some baseline knowledge, some foundational knowledge when it comes to legal fundamentals, which is why we prioritize education and knowledge is one of our core values and sharing that knowledge and then taking some action steps to actually implement practices that don't have to be expensive, they don't have to be time-consuming and they don't have to be confusing, which brings in the other piece of our business, which are our downloadable contract templates. So we're so happy to be serving entrepreneurs. And when we hear from our customers, it's like, oh, my gosh, this is this makes such a difference in the lives of so many. So I'm really grateful.
0: And I feel like it's amazing to be able to have that confidence as a service provider, a coach, a consultant, a course creator, whatever it is that you're doing to know, OK, I'm covered. What are some other things from a legal standpoint that you feel like are baseline items that entrepreneurs should have in place? And how do you know when you're ready for those things? So like a lot of times I feel like people are like, but do I really need that? Or like, when should I invest in this specific thing?
1: I would say absolutely a contract is number one with every relationship you enter into. So these relationships might look like Customers or clients, people that are actually paying you in exchange for a product or a service, you want to have the terms of that relationship in writing that very clearly outline what you're providing, what they're agreeing to provide to you in exchange for that product or service. What are any policies that you have in place within the parameters of that relationship, within the container of this service or product being delivered? So if it's an ongoing relationship and you have calls on a regular basis, Maybe having a policy around rescheduling those calls, you know, or rollover of calls from month to month or, you know, a a late cancellation policy. If they are canceling calls late, like, are they able to reschedule those if it's within a certain window? Are they not having a policy around, you know, if they want to add on additional calls? Because, of course, that takes from your time as a professional. So. You can state the fee for that additional call up front and that way they're agreeing to that and they're understanding that if they request additional calls, that's going to be added on um, to expand the scope of the service or added on to their bill that month. So coming to an agreement on those out the gate when everybody's happy, nobody's upset, can really do wonders for you from a peace of mind standpoint, from a professionalism standpoint, because otherwise, if you leave all of those questions open-ended and those are standard situations that come up in business i'm sure you've experienced every one of those situations right
0: 100 and yeah. honestly as you're talking i was even thinking through oh you know what that makes me think of some things that we can probably add into our own contract of like you know the number of revisions that a client has on a piece of content or to your point like what happens if they don't get us the content that we need to Edit or whatever it is that we do, like all those little instances that, as a business owner, I feel like those are stressful because it, now you're like, oh, wait, I have to halt my content creation day to day process. I have to either pick up the phone, send a Slack message, send an email to this client, and resolve this issue. Whereas you could almost get in front of it and put it in the contract. And then you don't even have to have those issues. It eliminates questions, it creates clarity. And then I feel like, in a sense, you can navigate the relationship with the client with more confidence because you've already clearly laid out, okay, this is what it's going to look like to work together. And I think then the client will be able to say, okay, I agree to these terms. This makes sense. I'm on board with this before they even enter into the relationship.
1: Yes. Oh my gosh. And that, and you completed my thought is that when you come into the relationship, when, like I said, everybody's happy, we're all on the same page, we're clearly communicating these policies, You eliminate the need to negotiate all of those things later on, because what you've described is when a situation like that comes up or you find yourself facing an instance of, you know, a late payment, for example. Okay, well, if we already agreed in the initial contract, what happens if a payment is late? You don't have to you don't even have to have a conversation, really, you know, and many times also to add on to that is it can act as a deterrent. You know, if you don't have a policy around late cancellation of calls, for example, just since we're talking about that as an example already, there might not be much of a deterrent for the client when it comes to having a late cancellation. They might think, okay, there's no consequence. So I'm sure it's not a big deal. Whereas if you did have that in there, they would be aware that, oh, you know, they have a a late cancellation policy of within 24 hours or 48 hours or whatever that looks like. That might act as a deterrent. Same goes for late payments. Same goes for IP protections, which I would love to talk about. If- yes, I have that on our list. I'm like, we have to dive into that today. It's so relevant. I mean, really for anybody doing business, you're creating content. You, pro- If you're listening to this, I would bet a lot of money that you have a goldmine of IP already. If you're creating content, if you are creating educational content, whether you're publishing it online or not, Maybe you're hosting, you know, private trainings or workshops or have a course. Maybe you're creating educational content online or it doesn't even have to be educational. Anything. So what is intellectual property? Those are intangible assets of Creations of the human mind, right? Which brings up an interesting point when we talk about AI, but that might be another conversation for another
0: day. Okay. This is actually something that I would love to dive into because I've given this some thought. And, you know, I feel like the internet in general is a little bit of the Wild West. And I think that's also why I'm so excited to chat with you because the legal part of things sometimes have a question mark behind them, not so much when it comes to clients, services, even like, you know, team member contracts and things like that, which we can dive into. But when we start getting into intellectual property and especially with the development of AI and thinking about, okay, so if AI is pulling, essentially they're sweeping the internet, which is other people's intellectual property to come up with, quote, new intellectual property. And then you use that, does that belong to you? Does it not belong to you? And then I feel like that line gets so blurred because it's kind of like, well, did you create it? Did you not create it? You know? So I'm interested to see what you think. If you like, could look into your crystal ball, what do you feel is going to unfold in that
1: arena? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. We are going to see so much litigation. We're going to see so many cases hit the courtroom, totally from this world of AI and content creation. And I love the use of AI. I think it's freaking incredible. And I'm an advocate of innovation and progress in general. And so I'm not afraid of it. I don't think we should be afraid of it. I think we should embrace it. And I wish the law and our lawmakers would get with the program because the law is so slow to catch up. It's just always been that way. And it's I almost think like need. they
0: wait for a problem and then they're like, okay, I no. guess we'll solve this. Yes. Literally, <laughs> literally that, yes.
1: Yeah, and that and that is exactly what we're going to see is we're going to see so many cases at the courtroom in the coming years. And that is where we will get some solid determinations of where do we draw these lines? Because right now it's a lot of gray area. Like you said, the lines are blurred and there are no solid answers right now. You know, as far as, so let's say I use an AI tool like ChatGPT to create a blog post. And it you know, goes through all the content that it has access to, which is you know a lot of the content that's published publicly online. And then it takes that information and it creates a new blog post. That blog post might be plagiarizing. It might be committing copyright infringement. It depends though. And so you'll want to go through whatever checks you can to make sure I know there are different tools online that are plagiarism checkers. I don't know how reliable they are, but there are different ways that you can use AI that can avoid a situation of copyright infringement, I believe. And so what is copyright infringement is the question. How do we make that determination? Because I can create an article or a video about intellectual property. Like Let's say I'm teaching about intellectual property and another attorney also wrote an article or created a video teaching about intellectual property maybe we're sharing the exact same information. What makes that different? Because just because somebody wrote about a topic doesn't mean nobody else can write about the topic. And if they do, that's considered infringement, right? What is considered infringement is if the, the expression is the same way. And there are a number of different factors that go into making a determination of copyright infringement. There are a number of different factors that go into making a determination of trademark infringement. Let me very quickly share the difference between the two for you guys who are listening, because I know that, yeah, sometimes like you hear trademark and copyright and patent, you're like, I don't know what any of that is. Like I, people use them interchangeably all the time, which is totally understandable. So trademarks and copyrights are the two types of IP that you really want to get familiar with as an entrepreneur you, I can all but guarantee, already have a trademark and you already have copyright assets. So trademarks are source identifiers. Those are those distinct source identifiers that identify the source of the product or service you're selling. So I like to envision a package, like a present that has a wrapping paper that is branded to whatever company is sending it to you. So the wrapping paper, the packaging on the outside is gonna have the company name, the logo, the colors, maybe a slogan or a phrase that they use in their marketing. Those are your trademarks because I see that package. I don't even need to see what's inside. I know where it came from. So in your business, that's your company name, your logo, your slogan, your tagline, the colors you use, the name of a program or a course, the name of your podcast. All of these are trademark assets. It's that packaging. And then we have our copyright assets. That's what's inside the box. So you open the box up and you take a look inside and the contents of the box are your content. So your original works of audio, of written content, of video content, all of those original works of art or authorship is how it's stated. Those are your copyright assets. And when you own the right to a copyright, you have the exclusive rights to the use of it, to publish it, to repurpose it, to license it to others, to uh, publish it publicly in a online format, in a physical format. You have the rights to do whatever you want with that written audio or visual content. When you have the rights to a trademark asset, you can use it in commerce in connection with the products or services that you sell exclusively. So with Nike, for example, somebody else cannot create a brand called Nike and sell shoes. Somebody already owns the rights to that. You might be able to create a brand called Nike and maybe it's like event services, like you're an event planner. Maybe. I don't know. There is a world of like, sometimes trademarks can get so famous and known that they have ownership over it in general. So like, you probably couldn't get away with using something like Starbucks or Coca-Cola in relation to something (laughs) else. But you know, if... If you're selling something in your industry, selling a professional service, and somebody else in a totally unrelated industry is using a same or similar name, it might not be a problem. So there are different things that you want to get familiar with when it comes to naming your business and naming your company, use of your content. So I mentioned that a moment ago when it comes to your contract, is it your IP protections? And when you create content, you are the owner of all of those rights that I just listed. If someone else creates content for you to use in your business, they are the owner unless they are an employee of your company or they transfer ownership of it to you in writing. And so you want to make sure that's in your contract. You know, if you're hiring a a contractor or, you know, really it is if you're hiring a contractor, If if they're an employee, then by nature of them being an employee, anything they create within your work together, it's owned by the company. If they're a contractor. They own it by default unless they include that in your contract. And if you're a contractor who provides copywriting or content creation services or some other services that involve creation of intellectual property assets, you want to make sure you're including that in your contract and taking that into consideration when you are pricing your services or pricing the project. Because if you're transferring ownership of it, you won't be able to continue using it in other ways. But if you retain ownership of it, you can use it, you can repurpose it, you could publish it, you could license the use of it to others, etc. And then if you are hiring people within your company to create content for other clients, that's something else you want to take into consideration is, okay, I always think of your IP ownership as like an umbrella and you want to keep all your IP under the umbrella. And if somebody else is outside the umbrella, so some visuals for those of you who are visual, I suppose.
0: I love it. Actually, we do something very similar in our business because we obviously work with clients, but then we have both employees and contractors that work under us. And part of our onboarding process, of course, includes that contract, which essentially transfers ownership rights over to the business and then the business transfers it over to the client, which works out really well. But exactly like what you're thinking, like keeping it under the umbrella and then the umbrella gets to decide who it gets transferred to, which I think is really important. Especially when you're, I mean, I feel like a lot of times as entrepreneurs, we're just trying to get through the day-to-day of like, okay, we got to keep up with this client and we got to do this thing. But taking a step back and thinking about, okay, let's look at the big picture here. Worst case scenario, what if we had an issue with the client who does own the property to whatever it is that we've created, whether it's a podcast that we launch or a really amazing website or something like that. Because the last thing you want is like later on down the road to have an instance where you then have to figure out in litigation, okay, well, who does own the rights to it? Because that's going to be so much more expensive than if you just like created a contract with all of this information in it.
1: 100%, 100%. And another tip for those of you who are creating content for clients, you can include in your contract that if they do not complete payment, or rather you could say that transfer of this IP asset is only complete after the payment is made in accordance with this contract. So because that's a real situation that some people face, right, is you start a project and it's going great and then it's not. And then the client goes away or, you know, whatever might transpire at that stage. But that way you're protecting your rights and the content that you're creating. And then you also have some sort of leverage because if they want ownership of it, their job at that point is to uphold their end of the agreement and and complete payment of the contract. So it's something to consider.
0: Yeah, I love that idea. I feel like especially in today's age when ghosting is like the new thing, <laughs> people just do that all the time. They're like there and then all of a sudden they're just gone. And so we've seen that with clients ourselves on, you know, rare occasions. But having the contracts in place at least allows to protect ourselves and knowing, well, if they choose to ghost, that's on them. But regardless, like we're covered on N, payment was complete, all of that kind of good stuff. Okay, so much goodness. I'm so excited. I feel like you've given so many like tangible nuggets for people what are some other things that you feel like are legal baselines of course outside of the contract we understand actually i have a quick question with the copywriting and trademarking at what point in your business do you feel is a good time to start investing in either a trademark or copywriting or possibly both
1: yeah great question so when it comes to your trademark so a trademark registration grants you the federal ownership and rights to the use of your trademark across the country. If you're in the U.S. and other countries also have their own version of the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office or USPTO. So I would say right from the beginning, when you're naming your company, do a search on the USPTO website because you want to make sure you are not infringing on the rights of anybody else. There is a range of distinction when it comes to trademarks. So if your trademark that you're going with is on the generic side or more descriptive side, there's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't mean it's a bad choice or that you should totally keep away from that. But it is something to keep in mind that other people can also use that name. And so you won't be able to claim exclusive rights to it, but you also won't need to worry about infringing on anybody because it's fine. You know, nobody has exclusive rights to that. And if you're wondering, how do I determine if my trademark is descriptive, ask yourself, do other people selling similar services need to use these words to describe the sale of their services? So that's an easy test that you can do. And you can do a search on your own. If you go to uspto.gov and then you'll click on test, T-E-S-S, I think it's trademark electronic search system, and then click on a basic search and then search the name that you're thinking of. And you can do variations of it. I recommend that you search for variations of it because the standard, the legal standard for a likelihood of confusion or considered trademark infringement is not, is it an exact match? It has to, it can be infringement if it is similar, right? Especially if the, the products or services being sold are related. So do a search, do a thorough search, search online too, on Google, on YouTube, on Instagram, on TikTok, anywhere else that somebody selling something similar might be active do a search there. And then as far as when it makes sense to register your trademark, the trademark process can take about a year to be complete, sometimes more. And during the pandemic, we saw like two plus year timeline. So it can vary. But I like to say that if you are, if your trademark is distinct and you are doing business all over the country and all over the world, and we really all are, right? We all have clients across the country. It's Business is totally different now than it was 50 years ago, you know? You're not just selling to the people in your town or in your city or in your state. You have, you can have clients all across the country. So I'm in Texas. If I don't own my trademark, then somebody in New York could start using that trademark and they might even be able to apply and get ownership of it. And that would give them the exclusive rights across the country. Now, there are ways, if I was using it first, in the US, it's based on first use. It's not just based on first to file or first to register. So there are ways I could wrangle my registration back, rightfully so, but it's going to be expensive, right? So if you have a distinct trademark and you're doing business across state lines, and if you are scrolling on fill in the blank, whatever your social media platform of choices to scroll on, and you saw somebody using your company's name, and if it would piss you off, then you should probably register your trademark.
0: I love that advice. Yes. Yes. I, it's funny because when we first were coming up with the name of the business, of course you do like the searches and you're like, does anybody else have this name and all that? And we're a great example of like a more descriptive name, the virtual assistant studio, because it is kind of like what we do. And so that was a big question for us is can we even trademark this because it's such a general term? And so I feel like that's a lot of people. They're like, oh, well, do I really need to do this? When do I need to do this? But I love the example. If you saw somebody else with your exact business name, would you be like WTF? And if the answer is yes, then you should probably invest in that. And also because, you know, you have to think long term, like your business in five years, like what's stopping somebody else from taking that? And the last thing you would want is exactly what you said, somebody else to use it. And then you have to go through the process of trying to get it that that just seems so silly when you could have had
1: it in the first place. Yes, and you know, it it can cause confusion in the marketplace too if other people are using a similar name as yours and you don't have the registration so you really don't have, you know, grounds to stand on and it is in my opinion it's it can be one of the most valuable assets in your business is your trademark if you have exclusivity when it comes to the use of it and if it is a more distinct trademark. And, you know, also when it comes to investing in your brand overall, as you continue to develop your brand, continue to publish content online, you're reaching more people, you're increasing your brand awareness, you're developing your website and your social platforms and content on Pinterest or YouTube or wherever it is that you're publishing every single day is you're getting deeper and deeper into like, this is who I am. And this is how we're presenting ourselves to the world. And the most heartbreaking things I witnessed in entrepreneurship and in my work as an attorney was those forced rebranding moments where people didn't do their due diligence. They didn't do a search up front. And then they got hit with the cease and desist letter by somebody that either owns a trademark or was already using it. And then they have to go through a rebranding of their whole brand. They redo the website, their social media stuff. I mean, I'm sure you can imagine.
0: It's, I mean, that right there is so stressful and thinking about the cost of a brand new branding and a website and like trying to switch everything over. I'm like, oh, that's such a pain, especially when it's forced. Now, if it's you deciding like we're going to rebrand, that's exciting. But if somebody's, you need to take everything that you did and stop, I feel like I would have a heart attack.
1: (laughs) Whoa! Oh my gosh. Blow your role. I'm telling you, heartbreak was not an exaggeration when I say that because it really is painful to witness and- to experience because I saw I worked with a lot of clients that had to go through that process and and it can also be a scary situation to face. You know, when somebody's accusing you of trademark infringement and you know, it's not a small situation, it's a federal court situation, you know? So I would I would definitely consider doing your due diligence and and do that search upfront You can hire a lawyer to help you with that. It's also something that you can do on your own. And if you find something questionable, take that to a lawyer for some advice on it in particular. But I've I've said it a million times. I will shout it from the rooftops. Be proactive. Don't wait to be reactive. When it comes to the legal stuff, it's always more expensive. It's always more time consuming. It's always... Just more than you're trying to sign up for to face a legal issue and clean up that mess and do the damage control as opposed to taking some steps up front that are probably going to be less expensive, probably going to be less time consuming and for certain are going to be less stressful, right?
0: Yes. I feel like the biggest lawsuit that I followed along with recently was with the crumble cookies. Did you see that? It was so
1: funny. Wait, maybe I did. I love crumble cookies, like literally says They are heaven. Oh my gosh, their, their churro one and their blueberry cheesecake one. Oh my
0: God. Like I did the other day, <laughs> the other day I did look at the nutrition facts on it. I was like, oh my God, what did I do? What did I do? I can never unsee that.
1: The it's, sugar is out of control. <laughs> it's out of control,
0: but it's like kind of worth it. Anyway, they It's not an everyday thing. It's like a once a couple like quarters thing. (laughs) They had this huge lawsuit. It was so public. I forget the other company's name, but it was very public and it's back and forth. And Crumble was putting out these hilarious statements about this other company basically being like, listen, like you think that you can be like us. You can't, we're the OGs. We have the trademark. Like it was so comical to watch like the back and forth of that. So that's anyways, good. that's
1: always what my mind goes back to. Okay. I, I just want to say really quick, you always want to be Crumble in that situation. You be never, <laughs> never want to be the other knockoff cookie company.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. And Crumble's like logo and everything was so much cuter. So good for them. Okay, last question that I want to ask. You are really big into education, which is like at the core of what we do as well. What do you feel like is the biggest gap that you see in education with entrepreneurs? If you could just be like, I just want to shout this message from the rooftop, please everybody know this one thing, what would that
1: be? Oh man, well, I'm obviously in the legal space and I've seen the, the damage it can do. So, and I also want to say when it comes to legal stuff, it's not in a silo. It actually touches every area of your business from brand to sales to marketing to operations to your team to your finances. I mean, it touches everything. If you're imagining like pillars of your business and all of those departments I just listed are the pillars, legal is horizontal across all of them and touches every department. And so it really can take you so far and can help you avoid so many legal landmines that are out there. I also always say I want for people to not have to learn these lessons the hard way because there are ways to learn them the hard way. You can learn a legal lesson the hard way and plenty of people do. And it takes up a lot of their time. It takes up a lot of their money, takes up a lot of their energy. It robs them of peace of mind. It Many people are robbed of their confidence in business after facing a legal issue. So I really want to encourage people, and I already said it once during this podcast, but be proactive. Don't wait to be reactive when you face that issue because it's not a matter of if you'll face a legal issue, it's a matter of when. It's just the nature of doing business. It comes with the territory. So when you face that legal issue, you want to be the kind of person that is like, okay, I'm ready. I know because I prepared for this. I know what my rights are. I know I have a great contract with this team member or with this client. I know that, you know, I did my due diligence up front. So I'm not, maybe I'm a little stressed, but I'm not like crazy stressed out. And I also know what to do next. Or you can be the person's like, oh, I don't know what to like. I'm shaking in my boots. I don't think I did anything that I needed to do to mitigate this situation or reduce the likelihood of some like intense damage resulting from this and you're anxious, you're freaked out, you're scrambling trying to figure out like what do I do, who do I need to talk to, et cetera. You never wanna be that person. You know, that's the that's the knockoff cookie company. We're not trying to be the knockoff cookie company. <laughs> so the knockoff cookie company. Yes, I love what the word
0: that you use, which was landmines, because I feel like that's exactly how it is. It's like you don't see it coming and then all of a sudden it's this massive explosion. And let's be real, like, sometimes I feel like, People think of legal as boring and they're like, this isn't fun. This isn't sexy. But to your point, and I feel like I've never really thought about it this way, but legal does touch all facets of your business. I think a lot of times we just think of it as, okay, I got my contract, check, I'm done, I'm good. And then we just keep going on with our life. But really thinking about how we can use legal to support all those different departments to your point, so that we are competent as business owners, because I know myself, like when I know that I'm making decisions with competence, I can move so much faster in the business because I'm not second guessing. Are we ready for this? Can we do this? Do we have things set in place? I'm like, oh, no, we're good. We've got this. Let's go. We're running full force ahead.
1: Yes, that's what I want to hear. And that's what I want for everyone. And I think it's possible for everyone. It just takes some steps. For you to take, okay. and one step at a time, and that's why companies like ours exist to make it easier. You know, I take so much pride in the delivery of our content, making it digestible, easy to understand, easy to apply within your business. Same goes for our contracts. You know, it's we don't do the legal thing where it's like here to Whereas, you know, oh my unto- god, yes, I know exactly All what you're talking right. about. I'm like, yeah that is the, weird, the 1800s nobody talks literal, like this exactly yeah like none of that so you want to be able to confidently explain what the contract terms need if a client asks you and that is what we've kept in mind every step of the way when we create our contracts so I'm here for the confident entrepreneur
0: yay hey. okay I want to wrap up with some fun rapid fire questions so the way that we do this is I'm just going to shout out a question and you can just like literally tell me what pops in your mind first.
1: Are you oh my ready? Gosh. Okay. Yeah.
0: okay. Yeah. Okay. What are you currently craving? Could be like food or something else. I don't know.
1: Oh my gosh. I'm currently craving a croissant. Oh yeah.
0: Like a good, I love a good croissant. Mm, the butter. I'm a food person. So I'm like, yeah, give me all the food. Okay. What are you currently watching? Anything good?
1: Oh my gosh, I don't think I'm watching anything right now. Um, yeah, that's a mom life. By I the end of the day, am. I'm like, where's the bed? I swear. I don't think I'm watching anything right now. Like, I can't even think about the last thing I watched. I think I watched- That's okay. Are you listening to anything good? Like a good podcast? Am I book? listening to anything good? What book am I- Oh, I'm listening to The 12 Week Year. So it's like Ooh. a- Have you ever read it or listened no. to it? No.
0: Is it- Tell me about it. it...
1: Yeah, it's a book. I can't remember the name of the author, but they seem like great guys. I think it's co-authors and they are all about the whole approach. It's a goal setting and quarterly planning system that they introduce. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm wanting to implement it in the new year and I'm really excited about it. And it pretty much is their whole philosophy is annual planning is just too far in advance. Like, okay, of course a year from now. Yeah. Right. It's hard to anticipate what might be going on 12 months from now. And then also, you know, that is quite a marathon, 12 months, right? So they are advocates of, and I'm into the idea and I'm excited to implement, is plan on a quarterly basis and then reverse engineer. Okay, what are my goals here for this quarter? Let me reverse engineer the tasks and the different tactical things that need to be done in order to achieve those goals by the end of the quarter and then treat every week like a month and reach your goals, presumably. So
0: love that. I plan yeah. on a quarterly basis by nature because I also subscribe to this idea that like a year, I don't know what's going to happen this time next year. Hopefully all great things, but like, we don't know. Could be exactly. shit with another pandemic. So i and but I've never thought about a week on a month basis. I think that's really unique. Because I feel like we check in on a monthly basis, but we don't always check in week to week and we kind of let things like slide and roll over. And so from like an accountability standpoint, even for myself, I think that would be really helpful.
1: Yes, and also what I really love about that, and you mentioned you know, checking in on a week to week is part of their system is scoring yourself each week on, okay, if I have these tasks that I know in my weekly plan, this is what I needed to do in relation to the goals. Scoring yourself as far as execution goes and always aiming for at least 85%. I think that's what they said. Maybe that was my number. I don't know. But aiming for 85%. If you're hitting 85% of all the things you said you'd execute on, it's highly likely you're going to reach your goals. So I'm into it.
0: And I feel like that will probably help fight procrastination. I feel like as business owners, you know, you don't have the boss. So it's easy to put off that task. That you're like, I'll just do it next week. You know, and then all of a sudden, three months go by and you're like, oh my God, I still haven't done that one thing that probably wasn't yeah. that hard to do, anyways. Yeah. Exactly. Love that. I know that feeling all too well. do <laughs> <laughs> that all the time. It's fine. But we will. 2024, we're coming for you. Okay. What are you most excited about right now?
1: What am I most excited about? Well, we were talking about it before we started recording, but I'm most excited for- about the podcast that we're launching. It's yeah, so like, exciting. Launching a pod. Can I share the name? Yeah, please. It is the Business of Doing Business podcast and we're launching it. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I'm so pumped for it. It is. It's been a long time coming and the the timing feels right. So I'm so excited. It's going to be another way for us to share education and information and break down these concepts in a fun bite sized way. Our episodes are going to be under 15 minutes um, and I will be the host. So. Hopefully it'll be a good time. <laughs> it absolutely will be a good time. And right? I, would love to come on. I
0: would love to come on. Yes. Yeah. I will definitely let our audience know too when that launches because I feel like that would be such an easy just ad for them to, and it's going to be so much good value. I'm like, everybody needs to listen, myself included. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. This was amazing. Thank you, Amanda. We'll I have to do you. more legal more. lessons in the future.
1: <laughs> oh my God. That would be fun. Yeah. We could have we like a little series.
0: That. We could call yes. it Legal Lessons with Yasmin. Yeah, Like a, like a good for podcast TV show situation. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> you just finished another episode of the Millennial Mom Movement podcast. And because I know you're a mover and shaker, here's your action item. Snap a screenshot of this episode, share it over on Instagram, and tag me at Amanda Rush Holmes. Each week, I'll pick one person and send you a Starbucks gift card on me as my way of saying, hey, thanks for hanging out with me on the regular and being a part of this incredible movement. See you next week.